The information contained in this episode is for informational purposes only. No material is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello and welcome to the Health Hour of Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to CHD TV. We are so glad to be here today. Um, this hour of free speech radio on AM radio and on streaming platforms is brought to you by the generous um, supporters of the Washington chapter of Children's Health Defense. If you're not yet a member or a donor to that chapter of this great organization, please hop on over to wa.childrenshealthdefense.org and, you know, sign up to get our free newsletter. And if you can, please give us a little something every month to get free speech on the air. It's very exciting. 2024, for a lot of people, they're seeing it as scary, but I'm seeing it as very exciting because we, we can see the efforts unfolding. We can see all of the systemic corruption that was kind of under the surface and hidden and nobody wanted to look at it now being brought to the surface. And the harder the powers that shouldn't be attempt to do all the stuff they want to do, the more it becomes visible, the stronger we get, and and uh, the more freedoms that we can take back, the healthier we can be. It's very exciting to me. So join us. Join this wonderful movement that is freedom, health freedom. Um, we need this for ourselves and to build a healthy future for our children. Um, the views expressed, um, as you heard earlier, um, are not those of um, the great radio station, 1150 MKKNW, or Children's Health Defense, or Informed Choice Washington, who I'm with, and so is my co-host, Bob Reynolds. Hey, Bob, come on in here and join me. So um, on this show, we're not giving medical advice or legal advice, just just doing the talk. This is what life is about. If you want to live an informed life, you got to delve deep into subjects, don't you, Bob? Uh, yeah, and this is something I didn't know before, uh, say, the pandemic, about what we're going to talk about today. Wow, that is that's really see the pandemic, the silver lining. Hate that anybody was harmed by everything that happened, but my goodness, the amount of knowledge that has been made public and the things that people did not know. I had kind of heard, I'd written we'd written about, in fact, let's start there. This show is about glutathione. And I tell you, the more you know about this master antioxidant that our bodies make the more you appreciate the brilliant design of the human immune system of life. It's so amazing. And it's really simple. It's very complicated. Bob, science, scientists have delved down and used microscopes and looked deeply. And, you know, they've done everything to try to figure out how life works. And I think, I think that's exciting to kind of begin to understand but the more we know, the more we realize honoring and respecting the complexities of life are actually very simple to do. 
because it comes back to the same advice that people have been given. I, I use the word advice. We're not giving advice, but the, the same things you've been hearing forever. Get plenty of rest. Eat well. Avoid toxins. You know, get rid of stress. All of those things that builds health also help your body make more glutathione. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. So, um, there is I a want, master design, it seems. Yes. Yes. A master antioxidant and a master design. Um, I And in preparing for this show, I went ahead and did a search on informedchoicewa.org, um, where you and I first met and, you know, where we started. And the people of CHD Washington and Informed Choice Washington were kind of overlapping and... Um, and we work together, right? There's so much parallel that we all do together. So I looked up glutathione to see where we had spoken about it before. And Bob, look at all these citations we have that it, that the search uh, triggered. Oops, I have to do this. No, I have to do this. And then let's see if it'll let me scroll. There we go. I hope. Hold yes, on. scrolling. I know I'm using a mouse that I don't usually use, and it's like fighting me. There we go. So we've got this July 14th, 2020 um, article, Glutathione, the Antiviral You Need Now. Um, I, it's, it's fighting me. I'm going to have to go over here, and um, there we go. We'll do this. We also talked about it in News and Views in 2022, um, how to prevent and treat COVID jab injuries in 2022 again. We provided Fogarty's formula when Dr. Ted Fogarty, who was on last week, um, got a CARES Act grant and worked with naturopaths to create this formula that um, includes the building blocks of glutathione. Um, we talked about an inquiry committee in Germany where it was brought up. Uh, look at all these 2020, 2020. Of course, we were telling the Board of Health about this. <laughs> I haven't heard any of them talk about glutathione. Have you? We can't, we gave them a lot of information. No, it's not on the ASIP list. So we won't no. be describing that. It really should be though, because it's it's got some powerful antiviral properties. We talked about nebulizing. We interviewed Dr. Uh, Brownstein, uh, talked about his uh, protocols. Let's see if this switches over to the next page for us. And then we... Um, Oh, we talked about the fraud of hydroxychloroquine and mentioned glutathione in that. And then we gave, we talk about it with flu shots. Look, at it goes all the way back. Let me go all the way to the third page here. So Informed Choice Washington, I'm proud of us, Bob. We were really on this. July 17, July 21st, 2017. It says it's a protected post. And this is our vaccine reaction protocols. Um that we had uploaded and were selectively making um, available to individuals. Um, it was some protocols, you know, we're concerned always with giving medical advice, but we had medical individuals we were working with, doctors and scientists, who had put together their own protocols. So we gathered those and provided um, them for individuals looking for protocol um, when they're experiencing injury. And glutathione appeared on that list. So, you know, it's it's pretty exciting how, you know, 
we were putting information out there and I love to think that people were learning about it. I do know, I do remember back when talk of COVID first hit early days, you'd go to Amazon and what was one of the things that was sold out that at least the best brands were sold out of right away? Do you remember? I believe it was NAC. NAC. Which is N- one of the precursors. Yeah. Talk about that. Talk about NAC. You have a jar of it there. Right. So that was one of the first things that I became aware of as we discussed how NAC, uh, this is just a big major macro brand from a major chain, but N-acetyl uh, mm-hmm. L-cysteine and I was confused by the L in the middle, but apparently if you have an L or you don't, uh, it's still NAC. Mm-hmm. And, right. Uh, you guys told me that it was a precursor to glutathione and it helps uh, in many ways. So uh, I got nervous. It was during you know the pandemic and people were ripping toilet paper off the shelves and <laughs> I went to the supplement store. Probably one of the few times I might've worn a mask, but uh, got in and, and looked for the NAC and, and the shelves were almost bare. And I was yeah. able to get some and lucky I did. Lucky I did. Um, yeah. I think they had started taking it down off of Amazon. That's yeah. Right. Well, I don't know where the FDA is right now, but it really, to me, now this is just guesswork. I don't have any proof, but because of how they treated hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, it seems as if it's very plausible that the FDA realized how potent NAC was, or rather the pharmaceutical industry that controls the FDA, because they, be, with it selling out everywhere, knowing it was going to address the symptoms of COVID-19 and help prevent COVID-19 before they could get around to getting these mRNA experimental injections out the door, um, they began to question whether or not it was a supplement and say it was, it was actually a drug. Be the formulation of um, the cysteine, one of the building blocks, the NAC. And so that made it difficult for a while to get a hold of. That kind of went away. I don't know where they are on that, but that kind of went away. Maybe they got enough pushback uh, from people and they realized that people could get other forms of cysteine. They didn't have to get it in the NAC form. Mm. Um, so let's let's begin though so that's that's kind of our little bit of our history and then we've got more history on a website you and i worked on together um i want to start with a video um and have nathan play it for us here this is a video that i found online um and they allow you to use it as long as you don't edit it it's only about three minutes and it gives a great overview of what glutathione is so if we could get nathan to play that for us He's there. Oh, maybe I need to play that. Oh, thank you. So it says opinions expressed in this video. Several questions arise today. Why are some people victims of infections while others resist? How is it that two people with the same disease stage recover at very different paces? Well, both are interesting and complex questions with equally complex answers that always lead us to think about the stage of the immune system. If instead of spending huge amounts of money and time developing new antibiotics and more powerful antiviral agents, we applied some of these resources to improve the defensive capacity of the immune system, the results would certainly be different. Viruses and bacteria are always mutating and eventually become resistant to drugs, and the trouble is, it seems inevitable. 
Developing offensive weapons without paying attention to our defense system is undoubtedly a wrong strategy. By improving the immune system of the population, microbes would find it difficult to achieve a foothold. Even being infected we would fight the invasion more efficiently. For those who do not know it yet, glutathione is a protein that we produce naturally and its main function is to protect each one of the cells, tissues, and organs that are part of the human body. It is made up of three amino acids, known as glycine, glutamate, and cysteine, and is found within each of our cells. This incredible combination makes it the most powerful antioxidant in our body, in fact, some experts refer to it as the master antioxidant. High levels of glutathione improve the immune system. Health professionals, teachers, people who work for the public or spend time in crowded places, such as cinemas, restaurants, gyms, airport lounges, public transport, and people, who for whatever reason, are prone to disease, they should increase their immune resistance by increasing glutathione levels. Glutathione can undoubtedly play a very important role in this situation. Why might the idea of increasing glutathione as an effective defense strategy be interesting? Taking into account the above arguments and based on the scientific support provided by the hundreds of studies that show that glutathione has a positive effect on many other viral diseases and plays an important role in the fight against infections. We can investigate in the database of www.pubmed.gov, where you will find articles on glutathione in relation to viral diseases such as the common cold, rhinovirus, the flu, influenza, AIDS, HIV, hepatitis A, B and C, the DNA virus, the RNA virus, retroviruses and many more. It can be seen that most of the studied viruses thrive in a low glutathione environment and with high levels of oxidative stress. The importance of glutathione for health should not be overestimated. If there is not enough glutathione, invaders penetrate the body's defenses, infect it, contribute to wear and tear, generate collateral damage, and in the long term accelerate oxidation and aging. Intracellular glutathione is a fundamental and critical contributor to the immune response. It facilitates fundamental functions such as detoxifying, energizing, and it is considered the essential antioxidant molecule. The best defense against any virus is to strengthen the immune system, by maintaining an adequate level of intracellular glutathione, we will also adequately keep our immune system loaded. Thank you, Bob. I didn't turn my sound back on. I want to give a big thank you to Dr. Jimmy Gutman, who has that video on YouTube. And if you go to healthyimmunitynow.org, where Bob and I are going to talk about very soon, you'll have a link to that to that video, and then you can go explore this doctor. So I'm so appreciative that he uploaded that video and allow it to share it because it gives a great overview, don't you think, of exactly what this powerhouse um uh, antioxidant does and it's there for us to use as long as we don't deplete it we have to provide the building blocks to it and we don't want to deplete it so um so with that i'm going to i think move over bob to <clears throat> to healthymutinynow.org so in 2020 when all of this was first beginning <clears throat> You and I really wanted to um, <clears throat> figure out a way to share really good information on how to support the immune system. 
but we knew very well if we put something out there as informed choice washington you know things get labeled and attacked you know like oh this is anti-vaccine information and we really just wanted to put out good solid information with resources fully linked <clears throat> so we decided we need a we need a, a website separate from informed choice washington to house this and put it up anonymously so people could just go explore the information and it took a long time before we even told anybody we you know, yeah, we put this up. <laughs> yeah, it was in the height of censorship and deplatforming, I believe, when we yeah. this. Yeah, exactly. And it it's still a very solid uh, website. So, you know, I keep, I haven't added to it um, in a long time. Once in a while, I peek and edit. But because it's really foundational to supporting your immune system, no matter what viral or bacterial illness is going along, it, you know, shouldn't need too much weight uh, maintenance. So the website that we created was healthyimmunitynow.org. And every week, listeners, viewers hear a, a little public service announcement um, telling you about this website. So this is this is what it is. And there's a, a tab uh, for glutathione. I think you have to go to the more tab to see it, but then glutathione is so important. It deserved its own page. So there you're going to find the video we just played, which is a great way to instruct others, you know, in the basics of what it is. In a bit, Bob, we're going to um, play a portion of um, uh, the, the other video from MedCram. Did you ever watch MedCram when um, over the past few years? No, I have not. Uh, that doctor, Dr. Seeholt, S-E-H-E-U-L-T, fascinating guy, really intelligent. He's like quadruple board certified MD in so many ways, describes things beautifully. I haven't cut, kept up with him in the past year or so, but I really love to, to go watch his work. I need to um, go back and see the things that I have missed. Excellent citations, a great place to go down the rabbit hole on topics. Um, so, but I want to, um, we have a graph here that, you know, people will explore and it gives a lot of citations to different um, PubMed articles. You can look up the numbers that are given there to go look up what they're citing, but we'll skip that for now. It's a little bit heavy for the radio. Um, but one of the most important things, Bob, is this, acetaminophen. Avoid acetaminophen. Yes. Yes. This, this is so huge. Now, we've all heard, um, and we hear often, you know, we heard it for COVID, but it's sort of standard advice, even pre-COVID for the flu and other things, is that, <clears throat> you know, go home, get rest and fluids, take Tylenol for your fever, which is acetaminophen. And this advice has infuriated me for a long time, because if you look up acetaminophen and how it acts and what it does to the liver, you know that you're depleting your glutathione when you take it. <clears throat> so I'll just read from um, our webpage here, Bob. Um, acetaminophen also known as paracetamol in other countries, depletes glutathione. It is found in many pain, cold, and flu medications. Studies suggest that even standard doses may become toxic if taken at times of illness. 
So we've got a PubMed number you can look up, 199-53420. And the uh, name of that article is Bacterial and Viral-Induced Inflammation Increases Sensitivity to Acetaminophen Hepa Hepato, anyway, liver toxicity. <laughs> and this is a quote from that study. Acetaminophen induced liver toxicity, we will say, accounts for nearly half of acute liver failure cases in the United States. The results suggest that normally non injurious doses of APAP acetaminophen are rendered hepatotoxic by modest inflammation, whether bacterial or viral in origin. This is huge, Bob, don't you think? Don't you I think do it's think so. I've heard it from so many doctors, but without a huge number of citations or scientific studies behind it, mm -hmm. that Tylenol is a potential danger for anybody who's sick, yet they keep prescribing or saying, take two Tylenol, call me in the morning. Yeah, exactly. So anytime you're dealing with anything in which you need your liver to be at its optimal and you need um, as much glutathione on board as you can get, such as a time as viral infection, um, it doesn't make sense to me <laughs> from mama common sense point of view to take it. And I think I've told you this story before. Years ago, pre-COVID, there was an article um, going around about a teen girl who in Georgia who had died of the flu. And the coroner was interviewed and he had mentioned acetaminophen. He said, no, she did not overdose. And I was curious, I don't remember his exact wording, but I was curious about how he phrased it. So I looked up the name of this coroner in the county and I couldn't believe it when I dialed, he picked up the phone. And so I asked him what he meant by that statement. And he said exactly what that study says is that um, because she had the flu, her liver was like temporarily impaired and unable to handle a standard dose of Tylenol. And so it continued to circulate and becoming more and more toxic because she couldn't break it down properly. And that ultimately led to her death but the flu, the the death certificate said that it was death due to flu. And I said, how come it was death due to flu? Because if it were not for the Tylenol, she, I said, would she have survived? And he said, likely so. But this is how death certificates are done, right? The flu was was blamed and not the Tylenol. <clears throat> and that that's something that we need to fix, you know. Um, that's something that I would love to see maybe Children's Health Defense Initiative Reform Pharma tackle is death certificates. Um, we need a way for the involvement of pharmaceutical medicines to be properly recorded on death certificates. Because it, I, I, it's my belief that if that was done, <clears throat> then people would make wiser choices when they're sick. And they wouldn't be taking acetaminophen when they're sick if it's going to increase their risk. You know, and then other studies, um, uh, let, let's go on and, and scroll down here because there's other studies that show, let's go on down here. Let me see if I can find that. Well, whatever happened to aspirin? I thought aspirin was fairly reactive yeah. and did a good job at pain killing and doesn't yeah. seem to be caught up in this glutathione reduction 
No. Um, I'm going to look for something. Well, see, what happened was I'm not sure if there was politics involved, Bob, but you remember years ago there was everybody learned about Rye syndrome. And it had to do with, I believe, chickenpox and maybe other viral infections in children. If you gave them aspirin, there was a very rare potential for something called Rye syndrome. Hmm. If any listeners are, know what I'm talking about, you know, I haven't looked it up in years. But what happened was parents began to be afraid to give their children aspirin for any infection. And they turned again to the highly profitable for the pharmaceutical industry, other antipyretics like uh, Tylenol, ibuprofen products. But aspirin still works beautifully, you know, so, you know, I guess you have to be educated on when it's safe and when it's not safe. Seems like one rare instance where aspirin was causing issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, that, then I, go, I correct myself because I use the phrase, call, take two Tylenol, call me in the morning. I believe the phrase is take two aspirin. And call yes, me. yes. And I wanted to find our page where we have <clears throat> on Informed Choice Washington. Let's see, it might have been the first tip. Let me, let me check out one more page here that I want to bring up for us <clears throat> to talk about all the studies with, I know we have it. We're going to do glutathione, German, leading COVID, shunning. Um, where do I have that bomb? So growing up, you know, as a parent, well, first of all, you grew up in a, um, a household with chiropractors who did not do pharmaceuticals. How did your parents treat fevers? trying to remember but in general it was uh quite a bit of sweated out as far as i can recall um Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. we would never take fever reducers there was no such thing in Mm. our house i don't Mm -hmm. think many i mean i'm almost 60 so i don't think they had too many things called fever reducers back then just you know yeah uh, basically just take care of the aches and pains by lying down wrapping yourself with a blanket, sweat it out and get uh, drink lots of liquids, do the old chicken soup thing. Yeah. Cold wash rigs on the head, clear, clear juices. And we do a lot of washcloths, a lot of cold <laughs> washcloths. Yep, yep. 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 Yeah. And, and do you remember the, the, the trick of cooling them off after you heated up this cold washcloth, you held it up and spun it in the air and it got cold again. And then you put it back on your forehead. I did not know that trick. Thank I you. I did that all the time. Yeah. So um, here is a, let me see, bring on, um, some information we have on informedchoicewa.org. If you search for what the science says about reducing fevers, we've got some studies here that explain like, here we go, we're mentioning glutathione again. This study is glutathione increased by something I can't pronounce. We'll call it GSHC4, inhibits viral replication and induces a predominant TH1 immune profile in old mice infected with influenza virus. Anyway, basically just says that glutathione is important um, when you have the flu. And then here's another one, a review of the evidence concerning hepatic glutathione depletion and susceptibility to that word again, I can't say, Hepata- help me pronounce that, Bob. What is that word? 
Hepato. I'll pronounce it as hepatotoxicity. Oh, I like that. Hepatotoxicity. Okay. After paracetamol overdose. Now that is talking about an overdose. Here's another one. Bacterial and viral induced inflammation increases sensitivity to acetaminophen. Hepatotoxicity. <laughs> Thank you. I'll just let you say it. This is a great <clears throat> abstract here. So, and that might, it might be the same one that I quoted earlier. The results suggest that normally non-injurious doses of APAP, acetaminophen, are rendered, go ahead, hepatotoxic <laughs> by modest inflammation, whether bacterial, viral, and origin. Here's another one, antipyrotic drugs in patients with fever and infection. Literature overview. The conclusion of this literature overview is <clears throat> the evidence does not currently support routine antipyretic administration. Considering patients' comorbidities and symptoms of their un underlying illness will promote safe, evidence-based, and appropriate administration of antipyretics. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's just so much information that says that it's going to reduce. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to stop sharing here. And then we'll, we'll go on back to our Healthy Immunity Now website and do a little more sharing from there. Um, the other things, I've got a list of things, Bob, that, let me see, you stream out. The, the other things that reduce your glutathione that you want to avoid are, let's see if you know, what else reduces glutathione, do you think? Oh, gosh, I really Unders don't know. I know how, understanding I know how we, in the does that help if you know it's made in the liver? What so would help reduce or increase? What would reduce your glutathione um, levels, knowing that glutathione is made in the liver? Hepatotoxic. Um, since the liver struggles to process alcohol. Bingo! Oh. <laughs> right. So alcohol is is really bad for your glutathione levels. So um, that's one of the reasons and, you know, one of the ways it damages um, alcohol damages you and your un undermines your health is it's depleting your glutathione levels and can lead, lead to liver failure. There are many prescription drugs that um, lead to depletions of glutathione, either from that product requires your body as it tries to detoxify from the drug to use lots of glutathione or in some way it's impairing your liver, making um, your um, replenishing your glutathione levels more difficult. Um, stress. Anytime you're in a stressful situation, your body pulls on it, your antioxidant that it needs. And so that will d deplete it more. And of course, environmental toxins, because glutathione is a master antioxidant. It's a powerhouse. It's like the janitor of your body. You know, <laughs> It goes and helps repair cells as they're being attacked and damaged and replaces things as they're damaged. So if you don't have enough glutathione on board, it's sort of like you, your body is like this beautiful, fancy Park Avenue hotel. And uh, I don't know, like a, a, a big... Uh, rock band moves in one of those 1980 rock bands moves in who's now kicking the walls and and destroying the hotel room and you don't have any bouncers to get them out 
<laughs> and you don't have any to come in and repair that hotel room, right? That's a heck of an analogy, Bernadette. I like analogies. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you, you, you got to make sure you've got your, your muscle on board. So when the viral invasion happens, uh, your, your guys can, can get to work. So um, it's so important. So let's, let's look again at some of these resources that we have on here. Uh, glutathione deficiency, most likely the cause of serious COVID-19. We're going we're gonna to talk about that in depth in just a minute here, because I discovered that article by somebody in Russia in 2020 published this. It's fantastic. And the other video that we're going to play a clip of from that Medgram, he addresses this really well. Um, the efficacy of glutathione therapy in relieving dys, dyspnea. Do you know what that is? Dyspnea? Dyspnea. No. Yeah. So that's another one that's on here. And I, I apologize. I didn't review it again after, um, before coming on the show, but here's, we talked about bacterial viral inflammation increases sensitivity to acetaminophen, and that's going to harm your glutathione levels. Um, glutathione inhibits viral replication. This is really an important study. Let's click on that one. Share Dyspnea this. is shortness of breath. Oh, thank you. I knew it was on there for a very important reason. Um, so here's a study from 2019 saying that glutathione increase, oh, we already read this on the other website, increases the GSHC4. So we will we'll stop sharing and, and go on back to um, the other. We're, we're probably almost ready to, here we go. Sure. I just want to make sure we cover all areas. We knew, we've known for a long time that the novel, what's called the novel, novel antiviral, which is the building blocks of glutathione, where a study was done and it showed in human cells and non-human primate cells that it helped um, with the, reduce the viral application or inhibit viral replication for the Zika virus. And there's also studies going back to Anthony Fauci's days of doing research on HIV that they know that it helps with HIV uh, replication. So it's really interesting that I've never heard Tony Fauci ever utter the word glutathione. Have you? You, you, you said helps with replication. You mean helps prevent replication? Helps, yes, thank you. Helps thank you. prevent. It, it, it doesn't increase. <laughs> It decreases. Right, right. No, I haven't. Yeah, I, I didn't hear that myself, but I'm just amazed at all the things we've that have come to the forefront yeah. for, for anybody who just doesn't want to jump on the COVID shot bandwagon. Yeah. All the things that are good for respiratory viral illnesses. Yes, yes. So are you seeing now this PubMed page, Bob? Did no. it go there? No? Okay, let me go to this. Um and I'll just read off. So if you do a search for Fauci, A-S, because it's Anthony, I think Stephen, but, uh, and cysteine, C-Y-S-T-E-I-N-E, -E, which is one of the building blocks of glutathione, you find a, a couple of studies that he was on that are looking at N-acetylcysteine or glutathione um, and HIV infection. And what was the other one? That's mostly what he 
his studies were on. Here's one with N-acetylcysteine. NAC is a potent suppressor of HIV transcription. How about that, you know? So you can't tell me that the powers that shouldn't be don't know about God's brilliant tripeptide <laughs> um, because they do. Um, so what I would like to do now is go on to this MedCram video and I think I'll be okay. I think it's queued up. Nathan has it queued up for us. So this is um, a, a a YouTube page, MedCram, and it's Dr. Seeholt, S-E-H-E-U-L-T, that we're playing a clip from that has to do with that Russian study he talks about in glutathione and COVID-19. So I'll go ahead and click it and see if it plays. Also recently published, it appears as though a Russian researcher associated with a medical university also has a similar hypothesis and may have even come up with this before we thought of it. And the proposal is titled Endogenous Deficiency of Glutathione as the Most Likely Cause of Serious Manifestations and Death in Patients with COVID-19. And the abstract goes like this. Based on an exhaustive literature analysis and own observations, I propose the hypothesis that glutathione deficiency is exactly the most plausible explanation for serious manifestation of death in COVID-19 infected patients. The major risk factors established for severe COVID-19 infection and relative glutathione deficiency found in COVID-19 infected patients with moderate to severe illness have converged me to two very important conclusions. Number one, oxidative stress contributes to hyperinflammation of the lung, leading to adverse disease outcomes such as an acute respiratory distress syndrome, multi-organ failure and death. And number two, Poor antioxidant defense due to endogenous glutathione deficiency as a result of decreased biosynthesis and or increased depletion of GSH is the most probable cause of increased oxidative damage of the lung, regardless which of the factors, aging, chronic disease, comorbidity, smoking, or some other were responsible for this deficit. The hypothesis provides novel insights into the etiology and mechanisms responsible for serious manifestations of COVID-19 infection and justifies promising opportunities for effective treatment and prevention of the illness through glutathione recovering with N-acetylcysteine and reduced glutathione. And in his paper, Professor Polonikov lists off a number of observations he saw with some COVID-19 patients. Here he has patient M, 34-year-old, with symptoms of fever, mild myalgia, appeared on the eighth day after contact with a COVID-19 positive patient, and disappeared on the sixth day of disease without treatment. And you can see here that the GSH was about 0.712 micromoles per liter, and reactive oxygen species, which is bad, was at 2.075, which gives us an ROS to GSH ratio of 2.9. Here's another patient, 47 years of age, with symptoms, fever of 37.3, mild fatigue. Here the patient's GSH was 0.933. Reactive oxygen species was 1.143 with a ratio of 1.2. These patients both got better without treatment. Okay, let's go to patient three. First symptoms such as fever and air hunger appeared on the fourth day after contact with a COVID-19 positive patient and the patient persisted for 13 days. Notice how low this GSH is. It's 0.079, 
and the reactive oxygen species were up as high as 2.73, giving a ROS to GSH ratio of 34.6. Patient R had a fever of 39 degrees centigrade, severe dry cough, dyspnea, significant fatigue, and tachycardia appeared on the seventh day after contact with a COVID-19 positive patient. She was hospitalized with characteristic radiographical signs of COVID-19 and clinical symptoms are persisting to date for 11 days. So this must have been at the time of the writing. Here, the GSH is 0.5, ROS is 3.677, and again, the ratio is as high as 6.9. And so the good professor comes up with very similar conclusions that we do, which is that N-acetylcysteine as a preventative measure may be very effective. The professor says here that oral administration of N-acetylcysteine as a preventative measure against viral infections, as well as intravenous injection of NAC or reduced glutathione may be effective options against the novel coronavirus. However, clinical trials are needed to objectively assess an efficacy of N-acetylcysteine and reduced glutathione for both the treatment and the prevention of this novel viral infection. But don't forget, I think there's actually more to it than just oxidative stress because the clots that they're pulling out of people with COVID-19, they're finding are very rich in platelets. And that means that there is also the issue of von Willebrand factor. These von Willebrand factors are connected to each other by these disulfide bonds. And as we've already talked about, N-acetylcysteine and reduced glutathione will break these disulfide bonds and cause them to lyse and potentially relieve the obstruction and the hypoxemia with COVID-19. Again, this is all a hypothesis, but it looks as though it's fitting together. And that's from when? Um, that's, I don't remember. Oh, the date of that Russian study was 2020. The um, not sure the other one about the blood clots and oh, um, okay. glutathione. So yeah, I encourage people, you can go to uh, healthimmunitynow.org, look for the glutathione uh, tab, probably in the more section, um, and you can link to that full video and see and go check out more from Ed Medcram. So thank you, Dr. C. Holt, Holt yeah. for um, his great work through all of this, helping us have great resources to go learn and explore and everything's cited so you can go explore um, and see what you think about what he presents. And that, that, that second article, the disulfide bond article is from 2011, if we go back. Oh, okay. So that goes way back. Um, so to me, it's criminal that all this time we didn't have public health officials in any state, let alone at the federal level, going up to the mic and saying, hey, you know, you might want to check out your glutathione levels and beef them up. So I want to um, spend the next few minutes uh, talking about all the great ways to ensure um, you have optimal glutathione levels. So we already talked about you want to avoid acetaminophen, Tylenol, prescription drugs, you know, check out what you're taking. And if you can check with your trusted healthcare provider and try to get deprescribe off of things that are undermining your health, alcohol, stress, toxins, those are bad. But what's good? Well, we'll talk about some foods, Bob. And then um, 
you know, there's the building blocks and there's also the product. Now there's a product called Proimmune 200. It's a patented product. And we've had that on um, a, a link to it on healthy immunity now uh, since the beginning of that website. And it's a product that Dr. Ted Fogarty talks about. And, you know, we don't endorse any products on this program, you know, we're kind of endorsement free, but I'm, re I'm mentioning that one in particular because um, the, in the researchers who invented it, Dr. Crum and the information that they've done to lead to their patented version of this is pretty important. And there's, um, there's nothing else like it that I'm aware of out there. So that is one option for people to choose a pre-made. Um, you can also find the precursors yourself in supplement form, the um, L-cysteine, L-glycine, and what's the other? Glutamate. Glutamate. Um, those are available um, to, you know, figure out what dosing uh, that you may need. Fogarty formula um, is on healthyimmunitynow.org. We give his CARES Act formula. He gave it away freely, the proportions that he recommended. And the proportion in Fogarty's formula has not only the building blocks of glutathione, but also spirulina, uh, beet powder, and a little lemon powder to help it um, make you salivate when you put a little in your mouth, you know? But let, let's talk about some of the foods here that if you consume them regularly, you, it nature, God, whatever you want to say, provides these building blocks to help you with this uh, tripeptide. And, you know, it, we talk, Bob, a lot about the fact that we're sort of in a spiritual war here. And I feel like there's probably some really meaning here. The fact that, you know, three, the Holy Trinity, there's three is a magic number, it's a spiritual number. And it's three peptides, these three that make up glutathione, which is essential to all life forms. I mean, it's in, it's, if I'm remembering correctly from what I've been told and looked up, I believe it's in all plants, animals, everything makes it. Maybe we can look that up real quick and make sure I'm not disremembering. Um, so there's like five key things, um, that you can bring on board or increase if you're already doing them. Number one are sulfur vegetables. Do you know what those are about? This is your quiz. Which no, vegetables gonna... provide a lot of sulfur? I am going to fail that quiz. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. No idea. <laughs> those are your cruciferous veggies. That's your broccoli and your cabbage and kale um, you know, I, I love broccoli sprouts. So look up crucifer cruciferous vegetables and, and see the wide variety of them because those are loaded in. That's where you're going to get your cysteine, um, which is your sulfur molecule. And I know we're going to have scientists saying, Bernadette, you're not quite getting the language correct. I'm doing my best. I'm using layman's. I, I know the information's correct. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a loud mouth on the radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's why you got to look everything up, right? And why we're not giving medical advice. We're just giving information to go with. Okay. Number two, vitamin C. So which, which foods are richest in vitamin C? Do you know that? Certainly. Are, what are, citrus. Citrus. Everybody goes there. But, you know, bell peppers mm. are some of the richest in vitamin C. I think they even beat the um, citrus. You want to buy organic because when they're grown in a hothouse or other places, they do have, you got to be careful about the residue of the 
um, the different chemicals that are on them. So do really watch. It's, I think it's one of the top dozen foods that, that are recommended to buy organic when you possibly can. Um, so yeah, and I know um, kiwi is very high in vitamin C. I was thinking of some others, but look up your vitamin C foods and, and have fun and see what you can find um, out there and, and get some variety in there. Selenium. Selenium is another thing that's very important to give your body what it needs because it's kind of like you need these building blocks, but then it's almost like you need your construction workers to help assemble it. So like your vitamin C and your selenium um, are things that help your body do what it needs to put these things together to create the glutathione. And a lot of us are selenium deficient because um, soil used to be very, very rich in selenium, but we've like conventional farming has depleted our soil of selenium. So we don't get as much of it. We don't need a lot. In fact, you don't want to overdo selenium. You got to be careful how much you take. But um, a good food sources um, are eggs and animal products. So any of your meats, uh, milk and eggs, some in legumes and in soy. Of course, you want only organic, though. Those are highly sprayed crops. You've got to really watch those. So I would say that if you're, you know, vegan or vegetarian, be really mindful of your B vitamins and your selenium because um, the richest foods are from animal products. Okay. And okay, here's another one. I didn't know until I wrote these down. Did you know that there are some foods that have uh, glutathione in them that when you eat them, there's enough that you get significant amounts of glutathione. So in your reading and research, Bernadette, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're going to get to this later, but glutathione as uh, its tripeptide mm-hmm. is you can get a supplement for that or you can find it in foods as, as a whole, or do you need the precursors or does it matter? Well, it, it does matter. And that I think I would love to bring on an expert to talk about the different supplemental forms that you can get because they all go through different body processes and it's, I have heard that it's superior, I've read that superior for you to have the building blocks on board and make your own because those get deep into the cell. Um, I have also read here and there that when you try to supplement it, especially orally, it, you know, when it's already in the three, it doesn't necessarily get to where it needs to go to get in the cell. So that's that's what I've read too in my short research. Yep. Yeah. So it does seem as either getting a, getting the pro-immune product or, you know, getting those supplements, to uh, those three supplements, or getting the, the foods that have the building blocks. But I would think, because nature being brilliant, I would think that the asparagus and okra and avocados and spinach that has glutathione, I'm thinking that it might be much more bioavailable than perhaps a supplement, but I don't know. I'm, I'm just spouting. So I would love if anybody knows, email us radio at informedchoicewa.org is a good place to um, send information if you know about the different absorbability and how the body uses the different forms. There's liposomal, I've heard, um, forms of glutathione. I don't know how that compares. Liposomal vitamin C, I'm familiar with that. Yeah, and there's also liposomal glutathione. And of course, we've already mentioned like um, 
IV NAC in acetylcysteine to get in you quickly. If you're in liver failure in the hospital, you know, they quickly give you NAC and, and acetylcysteine to get your supplies up if you've taken extra Tylenol accidentally or if, you know, and um, acetaminophen is, is the, I believe, the leading cause. It's on one of these things here of liver failure in the United States. People have no idea how toxic that stuff is. And then the final thing, Bob, is milk thistle. Um, uh, so milk thistle is an herb and it contains something called silymarin, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Oh, okay. Really good for the liver. So it really helps your liver get an optimal um, shape to be able to do its job and build your glutathione for you. So you can get milk thistle supplements and tea. And um, it's historically known for people who, you know, drink a lot of alcohol and they're trying to recover from that, that milk thistle is highly recommended. So there we go. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Going back to our website, uh, healthyimmunitynow.org. I mean, I wonder yeah. from our thousands of listeners in the Seattle area, if they remember seeing our banners, our four foot high, hundred feet wide banners in the Seattle overpasses. Yes. Uh, that was back in our activist days. Well, we're still activists. Yeah, that was, we did some amazing things. I was recently reviewing all of the conferences, the healthy immunity conferences, the future of immunity conferences that we did and had amazing speakers. In fact, one of the speakers is just calling me now because he's going to be on the show in the Liberty Hour in the next hour, which is streaming to CHD uh, TV too. Um, so very excited about that. He came out a couple of times. It's Dr. James Lyons-Weiler of IPAC. Yeah, he's coming on next. Um, Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, wait. So, yes, so we did those massive, one side of, of the freeway over ramp, 100 feet across. One side we had a banner that said, COVID-19 vaccine makers are uh, immune from liability. And on the other side, it said, healthyimmunitynow.org. <laughs> that was really cool. Yeah, yeah we did some calculations. Yeah, it would be about 10,000 sets of eyeballs per hour. Uh, on I-5 overpasses, given yeah. the traffic we were seeing. Yeah. five 5,000 people. Yeah, we did. We done good, Bob. 5, I want to get back to cars, doing some of that. Yeah. We, we need to do some more flash mobs and educational stuff. I really want to get back into it now that things, you know, and, and then stay active no matter what they do. Um, you know, Informed Choice Washington and, and now partnering with, child, with Washington Chapter Children's Health Defense. We're going to do great work. So everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Health Hour Informed Life Radio. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we've got the Liberty Hour with uh, Dr. James Lyons-Weiler. Stay tuned. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. 
we need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Children's Health Defense is a nonprofit organization with a mission to end childhood health epidemics by working aggressively to eliminate harmful exposures, hold those responsible accountable, and establish safeguards to prevent future harm. The Washington chapter of Children's Health Defense is stepping up at the state and local levels, but we can't do this without you. Join us at wa.childrenshealthdefense.org. Let's restore and defend children's health and their futures in Washington State. The information contained in this episode is for informational purposes only. No material is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.